Please remain standing for our scripture reading taken from uh, several portions in the Gospel of John. Hear the word of God. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be in you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Spirit of truth. We need truth this morning. We need it right now. We believe so many lies and lies that we tell ourselves. Lord, we need we need to have those things exposed, and, and your word does that. So, Spirit of Truth, come and reveal things to us this morning that we need to know. Lord, be our teacher. It's, it's so easy to be distracted. Lord, would you draw us to yourself this morning and give us, give us hearts of faith. Give us, give us hearts that are eager. We come, we come hungry. We come thirsty. We come at the, at the fountain of the, of the river of life. Lord, would you feed us? Would you nourish us with your word this morning? And may... All that we do, testify to Jesus, who is our Savior. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning. 
few more minutes yet in morning. Looking forward to opening God's Word with you this morning. We are, in a certain sense, uh, swimming in the deep end of the pool this morning. Uh, we're going to be delving into uh, the nature of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, and these are not things that are readily ascertained. In fact, I would contend they are spiritually discerned, but they're also very much on the mind of Jesus. You know, Addison, in welcoming us this morning, he said, you know, I came with my heart troubled a little bit this morning, and we know what that's like. You know, we, our, our hearts are troubled over, over many things, uh, friendships, finances, uh, marriages. I mean, there's all sorts of ways in which our, our hearts are are troubled. Um, Jesus is very careful here, 14.1 and then again in 14.27. In fact, I would say it's sort of the bookend of this passage. He says, let, let not your hearts be troubled. And he has two specific reasons why we can have untroubled hearts in the midst of troubled times. Uh, they are, one, He's got a mission. He's going ahead to prepare a place. Pastor Steve walked us through the beginning parts of 14 last week and talked about that, that mission of Jesus uh, where he would go to the cross, he would die, take on our sin, he would be raised again to newness of life, and that would enable him to go and to prepare a place, you know, with the Father. And he's saying, look it, I'm doing this. I'm, I'm going, I'm doing this. You may not even fully understand it right now, but I'm doing this. Don't be afraid. Let not your hearts be troubled. And that comes to us, not that he's doing it, but he's done it. And, and you know, it is finished. There is that great comfort of our hearts. And, and so when we think about all the trouble in this world, one of the things that we need to do to minister to that is remind ourselves of the finished work of Christ. But secondly, what Jesus says, and it, it's really phenomenal what he says, and I hope that by the end of our time together this morning in the Word, it, it is grown in your heart as well. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled, because I'm going away, but I'm really not. I, I, I'm sending you the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is going to take up residence in your hearts. Now, that's that's really amazing, and again, I, I hope that you grow in your amazement of it over the course of this morning, uh, but it's also a little bit frightening. I mean, when we come to the Holy Spirit, it's not an easy topic. I mean, first of all, He's the Holy Spirit, right? Uh, or if you want to go King James, He's the Holy Ghost, and you think, what is that, Casper? I mean, how does that work? How do I relate? I can relate to a father. Might not always be a good relationship, but I get father, I get son, I get friend, I get all of these things. But I, what's a spirit and how do I relate to a spirit? And then, of course, you know, there's been so much over the, uh, especially the last couple of centuries with regards to, you know, the exercise of the spirit absent from the word. And that makes us nervous, especially as Presbyterians, you know, like, what does that mean and signs and now, I, the Holy Spirit is at work in ways that I can't say, so I am not disparaging all signs. Please don't hear me saying that. I know numbers of you have been around that, seen that, been around the world and seen God work in some amazing ways, and, and we believe that. But we also know that there have been abuses of, 
of power and just, uh, you know, an illicit sort of grabbing of the Holy Spirit, sign without the word, and it's caused controversy in the church. I mean, even within Protestantism, you know, a lot of our brothers and sisters think differently than we do about this. And again, I'm not saying who's right, who's wrong. That's not the purpose of what we're doing. I'm just saying we get nervous around the Holy Spirit because of these things. And there may even be another reason why we get nervous. I mean, we we may get nervous around the Holy Spirit because, you know, here we see Jesus giving the, uh, the disciples, John chapter 20, after his resurrection, he comes and he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. And what happens to those guys? They all die. <laughs> you know, they're martyred. And, and there's a sense in which we, we want to be careful in our lives, right? We don't want to fly too close to the flame because we might get burned. You know, there's, maybe I'm the only one that feels that way, but, you know, when it comes to the Holy Spirit and power, you know, there is just some, some question in our mind, like, what is that like? Like, if I, if I really allow the Holy Spirit to take control of my life, what is that going to do to my friendships? What is that going to do to my relationships? What is that going to do to my career choice? What is that going to do to the path that I'm laying out for myself as I go through college right now? What, what is that really going to do? So we want to take a couple of weeks uh, in the midst of this upper room discourse because here Jesus gives us some of the richest teaching on the Holy Spirit that we have in all of the scriptures. Paul has a lot, Romans 8, 1 Corinthians 2, a number of other places. Uh, but here we hear from Jesus, A, the importance of the Holy Spirit, and then B, a little bit about his work. And so today we're going to be looking big picture, you know, who is the Holy Spirit you know, why does he matter for us now? Why is Jesus talking about this when he says, don't let your hearts be troubled? Next week, Pastor Steve is going to be looking at the, the Spirit's role in convicting and converting, sort of that sanctifying, making holy work of the Spirit. We see it in chapter 16, uh, verse 8. And then the following week, we're going to talk about the, the Holy Spirit and his role as our paraclete, our, our comforter, our friend, our helper. Uh, so that's our path for the next three weeks. We're sort of doing a mini-series within this upper room discourse, uh, trying to think clearly, trying to apprehend at the heart level a little bit of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I've mentioned before, and, and some of you know, you know, we're, we're Presbyterians, right? And so the joke is the frozen chosen, uh, not all that Holy Spirit infiltrated. Uh, but the reality is John Calvin, who, you know, is in many ways one of the theologians of Presbyterians, uh, he was known as the theologian of the Holy Spirit. Uh, because he really recognized, I think, a lot of what Jesus was teaching here, a lot of what Paul played out, and some of the things that we're going to talk about this morning. So, let's start just at the beginning. Who is the Holy Spirit? All right, you know the answer to this. Who is the Holy Spirit? One word. God. Absolutely. The Holy Spirit is God. When we talk about God... Uh, we sometimes think of the Father, we sometimes think of the Son, we less often think about the Holy Spirit, but, uh, you know, when we talk about the Trinity, we talk about Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is God, co-equal with the Father and the Son. Uh, the, the Holy Spirit, uh, along with the Father and the Son, reveals who God is to us. Now, 
you know, again, this is where we're in the deep end of the pool, right? These are things that we can't really totally understand. You just talk about divine sovereignty and human responsibility, and our minds are blown. We talk about uh, the incarnation, 100% God, 100% man, and we're like, I, I get what you're talking about, but I don't really get it, you know? And the same thing is true when it comes to the Trinity. You know, we, we can say Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, these three are, are co-equal, uh, they're, they're one God, but, you know, and we're like, how, how do we understand that? How do we begin to uh, parse that out? Two ideas that might be helpful to you just as you navigate through this. The first is this. You know, there is just the truth that they are one God. This is their ontology. This is their beingness, right? So they are one. There is, uh, when we worship one, we worship the other. All three of them are deserving of our worship. So there is the, the ontology, the beingness. They are one. But then there is also what we call the economy. Uh, so the way that they are revealed to us, the way that we understand them, sort of the roles that they play in our lives. So the Father we often talk about as uh, the creator or the source, right? Uh, the Son we talk about as the one who redeems and enacts the Father's will, carries out his plan. And then the Holy Spirit we talk about the one as uh, the, the one who connects us, who, who uh, applies the, the finished work of Christ in our lives. So that doesn't mean there's three different people doing three different jobs, but that's just kind of how we, we talk about those things and we see that. But we got to be careful because we recognize that the Son was involved in creation and we recognize that the Spirit was hovering over the face of the deep, you know. So we can't push the economy too far uh, but it is also helpful for us to get our minds around a little bit of the Spirit. Jesus was always thinking of the Spirit, especially in John. You know, if you trace through the book of John and just go chapter by chapter, almost every chapter you see some mention of the Holy Spirit. You know, chapter 1, you see the baptism. Chapter 3, you got the interview with Nicodemus, and he's talking about the Holy Spirit's role in the new birth, regeneration of people. Chapter 4, we worship in spirit and truth. Uh, chapter 6, chapter 7, the passage that we read, you know, the, that the great day of the feast, the, the Spirit will, will inhabit the believers. Uh, chapter 13 to 17, this upper room discourse is just replete pregnant with all kinds of spirit references. And then in chapter 20, you know, as Jesus really sends out the disciples after his finished work, again, the emphasis is on the spirit. You know, I give you the spirit, and he breathes on them, and they receive the Holy Spirit. So it's all throughout the book of John. And one of the things that John does uh, in, in reporting the story is he helps us understand that the Spirit is God. So we've already made that claim. Let me just back it up a little bit with some scripture. One of the things that John is anxious to uh, point out is that Jesus is God. So throughout the book of John, it's hard to read the book of John without coming away with the idea that Jesus is making claims to be God. Now what you decide to do with that is up to you. 
you know, you can decide that Jesus is telling the truth, that he is actually the Lord, or you can decide that Jesus is deluded about who he is, and so he's crazy or he's a lunatic, or you can decide that Jesus is a liar. But there's really no, no middle ground on that. Jesus can't be simply a good teacher. Uh, Jesus can't be simply a good guy. He, he's making absolute claims about who he is as God, I am, Yahweh. He's making those claims. And it's interesting that the things that Jesus claims for himself, things like he came to the world, he came from the Father, he was given by the Father, sent from the Father, that he is truth, that he is holy, uh, all of those exact same things, and those are things that we look at and we say, yes, Jesus inhabits this. We believe that he is Lord. All of those same things are said about the Holy Spirit. He comes to the world. He comes from the Father. He is given by the Father. He is sent from the Father. He is said to be the Spirit of truth, and he is the Holy Spirit. All of the same things that are said about Jesus are said about the Holy Spirit. And, and of course, that's true. Why? Because, as we've said, he is God. The three are one. So, I've spent a little bit of time here, but it's really important that we recognize that the Holy Spirit is God. Here's the way the Nicene Creed uh, puts it. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. And incidentally, the Nicene Creed is, is an ancient creed that expresses the faith of believers, representative uh, down through the ages. We believe that the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, he proceeds from the Father and the Son, and with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified. Now let's just pause for a minute and, and think, you know, how often do you think about that? I mean, we, we think about the Father, we think about the Son. How, how often are our hearts drawn to think about the Holy Spirit, you know, to pray to the Spirit and, and, and to ask the Spirit to inhabit our daily lives, you know, whether we're sitting down to read the Scriptures, uh, the Spirit who inspired the Scriptures also illumines the Scriptures for us, and, you know, when we're uh, dealing with our, our co-workers or we're dealing with family members, just the very present work of the Spirit as God, there is a real invitation there in our lives to, to lean into that. Now, I grant you there are things here that are difficult to understand. John Owen, who is a theologian and, um, you know, somebody who's thought a lot about communion with the triune God, he says when it comes to these things, uh, the Spirit, the Father, the Son proceeding uh, receiving, you know, substance and personality. He says, I, I hesitate to talk about these things because it is the business of another nature than I now have in hand. He says this, you know, when we're talking about this stuff, we, we stumble over it because we're not of that stuff. We are creatures, not the Creator. And so to understand, to get our minds around it. But I'll posit this for you and, and see if it's true for you or not. You know, for me, that's really encouraging. 
You know, when I think that I can't get my mind around the Trinity and the Holy Spirit, uh, there is a sense of encouragement here because I want a God that is bigger than me. You know, I, I want a God that, that has some mystery. I want a God that, that I can't understand because if I just simply have a God that I can box up, you know, and sort of say, okay, here, 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 shove it in my pocket, then I'm God, right? You know, I, I've, I've, got the, I've got the understanding. And there's something about, you know, coming up against something that is in a way impenetrable, that is comforting to us as we look for answers in a universe you know that we don't always find from a human perspective but we know that they're out there because there are things that we don't understand does that make any sense to you at all uh maybe uh, it makes some sense to me so god holy spirit who is he he is god now where can we find him this is the other thing that jesus is saying and He's, he's very clear here. So the answer is what? Where, where can we find the Holy Spirit? Yeah, in, in us, Dore says right here. In, in us, in believers. If you are a believer, uh, you have the Holy Spirit in you. So a passage that we did not read today, but we've referred to before, John 16, 7. Jesus says, it's to your advantage that I go away. Now, again, he means by that that I go away to death, uh, that I go away from this world, from, you know, the physical presence of Jesus. He says it's, it's to your advantage. And, and part of why he says that is just how he goes on to say, he says, if I do not go away, the Holy Spirit will not come. But if I do go away, then the Holy Spirit will come and will take up residence in you. And so we see that in John 14, verse 17, the passage that we did see earlier today. Even the spirit of truth or the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. That's amazing. So we, we've already established the fact that the Holy Spirit is God. He is holy, almighty, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, We've, we've established the fact that there is an impenetra impenetrability to uh, this knowledge that, that we can't comprehend. And yet, what Jesus is saying is, what we're being taught here is that this God dwells in us. That is amazing. That is absolutely amazing incredible to think about God dwelling in believers. I mean, so often we think about our lives as separate from God, right? We think about our lives as being oriented sort of to that being up there, you know, and so we act in order to please him. We uh, do things in order to ask for things, you know, we, but we think about it. We're not thinking about it oftentimes as God this isn't even the incarnation God with us. This is God in us, right? God in us. Day by day, if you are a believer, this is the promise that Jesus says. This is the outcome of his going away, his going to the cross, becoming sin, you know, dying, 
going into the ground, being raised again, the result of that for the believer, those who have put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, is that the Holy Spirit takes up residence in their life. And he ministers to us. The Father, we see that in 1423. Uh, the Father is represented to us. If anyone loves me and keeps my word, my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. You know, here we're, it's not just this nebulous spirit, right? It's the, the Father represented as well. And of course, it's Jesus, verse 18. This is just such an amazing passage. I will not leave you as orphans. We were just talking in our Sunday school class that this moment in time that we live in, uh, the, the profound marker of, of our sort of generations is alienation. People feel alienated from one another. Uh, people feel alienated from the world that they live in. People feel alienated from God. And what does Jesus say? I will not leave you as orphans. I, I, I will not leave you alienated. I will come to you. And I will take up residence in you. Uh, because I live, you live. And that day you'll know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. So when the Spirit takes up residence in our heart, we have, you know, it's like we've been invited into the Trinitarian existence that, that was in effect from all eternity. I mean, can you imagine that? You know, the, the group, the, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit that was marked by so much love. It was out of the overflow of, of their relationship that the world was created. It was out of the overflow of their relationship that the plan of redemption was enacted. You know, this, this group, this community, we have been invited into. We experience fellowship with the Father. We experience fellowship with the Son. We experience fellowship with the Spirit. Why? Because the Spirit of the Father, the Spirit of the Son, the Holy Spirit lives within the believer. It's absolutely, absolutely an astounding, astounding truth. Jesus says, I'm going to send you another comforter. Now, he doesn't mean there. There's two different words in Greek for other. There's heteros, which is different. You see that uh, in English that comes off. That's not the word here. The word is alos, uh, which means different but of the same kind. Uh, so Jesus says, I'm going to send you an alos paraclete, another comforter, uh, one of the same kind as with me. Jesus was the advocate. That's what paraclete means. Uh, so he was our advocate. He's going to send us another advocate who's going to come and take up residence in us. Luther, uh, Martin Luther, reformer, said it was, it's the altus Christus. It's another Christ uh, that, that comes and, and takes up residence in us. It's such an amazing, amazing truth. I want to just, you know, again, you know, my purpose today was to sort of get us started thinking about the Holy Spirit. Who is he? Where does he live? Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to develop, you know, a little bit about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. What does he do through us? What does he do in us? All of those different types of things. But let me just give you a few applications uh, right now, suggestions to way to think about this. And, you know, often when I think of application, I think there are probably three types. 
there's doctrine, you know, what are we to believe, you know, and that's part of application, right? We have to think right. There's duty, what are we to do? That's what we often think about in terms of application. All right, preacher, what do you want me to do, you know? Uh, so there's doctrine, there's duty, and then there's also delight. And, and, I, and I think that, you know, God, he, he's our friend. He comes to us and he, he wants to warm our hearts. You know, he, he wants to woo us in, in a certain sense. And when we, when we come up against these truths, they do that. You know, when we realize that God is for us and that God is working in us, it, it draws our hearts towards him. We realize he's not an enemy, uh, but that we've been reconciled. And I think, you know, many of these applications are less on the duty side. You know, they're more on, okay, believing this, how do we think about this? And how, do, how, does, it, how does it woo our hearts? So let me give you a couple. Two of them are a little bit shorter. Uh, the first one's a little bit longer, okay? The first application is just this. Uh, as, as, we, as we reckon this, we have to appreciate that we have fellowship and intimacy with God. You know, it's, it's one of the major things that we've been talking about here in a way that goes beyond anything. I mean, I love my wife, and we have great intimacy. We are one flesh, but she doesn't live in me, right? Uh, in the same way that we're talking about the Holy Spirit, I don't live in her, from which she's probably grateful. Uh, but we don't have, this is a, a whole different level of intimacy, and this is what we have with the triune God. So think about that. You know, think about that in terms of alienation. We've talked about that. You know, loneliness. How many of us are lonely? You know, there is a pervasive loneliness in our culture. Uh, and, and we feel it whether we're college students, whether we're middle-aged adults, or how about elderly? You know, if you are in that phase, do you ever feel lonely? Well, of course we do. You know, but what the Spirit is coming to us and, and is reminding us, I'm with you. I, I will never leave you or forsake you. You know, your friends leave, sometimes willingly, sometimes unwillingly. Death, you know, your family leaves. But I will never leave you or forsake you. John Owen, again, talking about the fellowship with the Holy Spirit. He says, I deny that the Holy Spirit ever absolutely or universally would leave a believing soul without consolation. You know, we ourselves can be darkened, cloudened. We can even harden ourselves to the ministry of the Holy Spirit and refuse comfort. But we, we can actually find no comfort or feel no comfort. But radically, what he says, the believing heart must know that they have a foundation of consolation that will in due time be drawn forth. So application number one, you have fellowship with the living God. You have a foundation of consolation that can never leave you. It is always there if you are in Christ, if you believe in him, submitted your life to him, right? Number two, and this is the most dutiful of the applications, and it's probably uh, one of the more challenging. Think about that, the Trinity that we talked about. Think about, you know, the Trinity 
which is in one sense exclusive, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There's no fourth member of the Trinity. But they have found a way to be inclusive. And I use that term intentionally. I know that's got all kinds of political baggage to it. Uh, but I want to redeem the term, right? We have been included in the fellowship of the Trinity. This is, this is the most exclusive group. This group had a right to be exclusive. There is no other God. But they have opened up and they have included rebels like us. People who were alienated from God, from ourselves, from the creation, from one another. I mean, we were alienated at every level, and they have included us in that fellowship. So, application. What, it, what does that mean for us in our groups, right? In our, in our family structures. You know, how, how do we follow the model of the Trinity, you know, and, and become inclusive in our family structures. How do we do that as a church? Churches can sometimes become exclusive, right? Uh, 60% of people roughly in Grand Rapids are unaffiliated with a church. Do they feel welcome coming in here? Or do they feel excluded because they don't belong? Uh, you know, again, I'm not providing the answers to these questions. I'm raising the questions, you know, and we, we need to wrestle with this. When we see the Trinity who had the ultimate right to exclusivity, finding a way to be inclusive, that challenges me. That says, okay, how does my life need to look? You know, in my family, in my church, in my neighborhood community, in my friend group, in my book clubs, whatever it might be, you know, in your hunting club, what, whatever the, the thing is, how do we follow the pattern that the Trinity lays before us? Now, shortly... Uh, you know, the, the Trinity gives us illumination. We're going to look a lot at this in, in two weeks as we look at how the Spirit teaches us and leads us. You know, He's inspired the Word and He illumines us uh, in order to appropriate what is being taught. Fourthly, the Spirit gives us power. And we're going to look at that next week. Pastor Steve is going to look at that as he think about the conviction and the conversion. Uh, you know, Jesus says in, in verse 12 of, of, chapter, of chapter 14, he says, Truly I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will they do. You're like, what? You know, how are we going to do greater works than Jesus? And so much of it is tied up with the ministry of the Holy Spirit that is going out through us to convince and convert the world the truth of the gospel. You know, that, that we are alienated from God, but that there is friendship with the living God through the finished work of Christ. And, and there's a power there, and we want to dive into that and understand that. But the last thing I want to just give you this morning, just think about, is peace. Uh, it's throughout this this this. The, the, the description of the, the Holy Spirit you saw in verse 27 of chapter 14. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world do, gives do I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. And then again in chapter 20, after he has died, after he has come back, the disciples are still troubled, still wondering what's going on. And Jesus comes and stands among them and he says, Peace be with you. 
And uh, then again in verse 21, he says, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Shalom. It's more than just the absence of conflict, right? It is the wholehearted putting together back of all of the alienation. Ourself to God, ourself to ourself, ourself to people around us, ourself to the creation. All of these levels in which we're alienated from God and what He has made. He says, I am putting it back together. I am rewebbing it into shalom. And this is the invitation. And, and, and it really is an invitation. I, I don't know where you are in your relationship with God. Everybody I've said before is, is related to God somehow. You may be, you know, far away with your back turned, trying to get as far away from God as possible, but you are related to God. You're in relation to God. The invitation here for college students, all of us, you know, the invitation is peace. And it's such an attractive invitation because we so, so desire peace. There's a guy, there's lots of guys actually, but there's a guy. Uh, his name's Kevin, uh, Kevin Chandler. He is a man with a, a spinal muscular atrophy. And he's at alienation with the world, with his body. Um, he's wanted to, to get around and, and to see the world. He wanted to see Europe, wanted to see China. Uh, but he can't because he's in a wheelchair. And, and he can't get around. And, you know, those old castles weren't ADA. And, you know, it's difficult to get up into the mountains and to see the vistas, you know, get on the Great Wall of China, all of these different things. You can't do that when you're in a wheelchair. But Kevin has a group of friends, and uh, they have made a pact, and they've actually made a foundation uh, that says, we carry Kevin. And, and they developed a backpack, uh, and, and they were able to take this adult man all throughout the world. You know, they were letting this person who otherwise would have been unable to soar, to, to get up on, you know, in these castles, to, to scale this mountain, to see this vista. And, and it's just really an incredible story. It's an incredible story of the rewebbing of shalom. You know, places where you can't go, you're now going. Friends that you ordinarily would be alienated from, now you're coming around on their back. You're knowing an intimacy with them that you wouldn't otherwise know. The important thing about stories, though, is to find our place. And in this story, we're not the friends. You know, we're, we're the ones that need help. We're the ones that are disabled. And it's the Holy Spirit that gives us the ability he comes and he takes up residence and he carries us. He helps us soar. We can go to places. We can see things. We know intimacy and friendship that we never would know apart from him. He is our paraclete, the one who comes alongside. He helps us in all that we do. Praise be to God, for he has given us another comforter. Let not your hearts be troubled. Let's pray.
Lord, we thank you for this word, for how it comes to us and the ways that it both invites and challenges us. We pray that you would meet us, uh, not only through this word, but now through this table. As we come to the table that you have set, the table that you, Holy Spirit, pro, uh, uh, proceed over in, in such a very real way, we ask that you would give us eyes to see uh, and a faith to, to latch on to and understand the great truths that you are teaching us. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. As we come to the table, it, it is the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit that we meet 